Galatians chapter 2 this morning. Let me begin reading in verse number 16, and I'll read down through the rest of the, ver- the chapter. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Verse 21 is a great verse. We won't really have time to look at it today, but I like how Paul says that. I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God by trying to basically earn my way into heaven. And, and I will repeat something that I've said before that I got from another, that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And it's always important to remember that. Now, how many times we have all heard a statement like this? You know, he's, he's such a fine Christian man. Or perhaps we hear it said of a woman, she is such a dear Christian lady. Now, what does that mean? And, of course, many times what that means is this is someone who truly is one that loves God, loves Jesus, follows Jesus, exemplifies the life of Christ. But many times I don't know but what we aren't confused by the meaning of statements like that. I want to define Christianity for you, or I want to give you some definitions of Christianity. Um, Because the topic that I want to preach on this morning is this. From verse 20, Paul says, the life I now live. And I would challenge you to think this morning, is the life you now live one of Christianity or of Christ? Is the life you're living a Christian life or the life of Christ? And so let me define Christianity for you. This uh, first definition is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, that Christianity is the the religion derived from Jesus Christ based on the Bible as sacred scripture and professed by Eastern, Roman Catholic, and Protestant bodies. That's Christianity, according to the dictionary. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Christianity is a major religion stemming from the life, teachings, and death of Jesus of Nazareth in the first century. Now, I even tried to look at Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary because, you know, we like that one in our circle. Do you know the word Christianity is not even found in Noah Webster's dictionary? I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that. Now, it does have Christian Lee uh, or Christian like, but Christianity is not found in there. But in the 1913 edition of Webster's revised unabridged dictionary, here's what it says, Christianity. The religion of Christians, the system of doctrines and precepts taught by Christ, or the second definition is practical conformity of one's inward and outward life to the spirit of the Christian religion. Now I want to let that settle just a moment. 
The question this morning, is the life I now live one of Christianity or of Christ? If you look at the text this morning, we must pay careful attention to the words that Paul uses. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was not propagating Christianity, but Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are two different things. Now, you, you, you may contest and argue that with me later today, like, preacher, you're, you're mincing words here and you're making a big... But I want you to at least, for the sake of the message this morning, hear what I am saying. They are, by definition and practice, largely two different things. The life which we have been called to and redeemed for is not a life of a religious system nor a life of conformity to dogmas and creeds, but we have been saved and born into a new life of being one with Jesus. They're two different things. Now, this will help Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read verse 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God." not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What is my point? Paul's not propagating a religious system. Paul's not promoting Christianity. Paul is showing and teaching and proclaiming that it is in Christ himself, the person of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus Christ, the death and the life and the, the resurrection and the coming again of Jesus Christ, the faith of Jesus Christ, this is what we are called to live. Now I want to show you this morning that this life is not a life of religious conformity, but a life of Christ-centered transformation. The fact is, even a lot of saved people have never understood the joy and the liberty and the adventure and the hope that could define their lives if they could shake off the trappings of Christianity and dive deeply into the life that is found in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul was after when he wrote to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 25 through 27, he said, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, if you were to take the word, the name, the ideology, Christianity, and put it in all these verses, they would read completely different. For example, that last one I read, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christianity in you, the hope of glory. That wouldn't be the same thing, would it? And so this morning, I believe with all my heart that if we could root out a lot of the Christianity 
from the soul of believers and get them deeply rooted in the life of Christ, then we could see what real revival is. And you may ask, well, preacher, it sounds like you think that most church members are lost. And I would tell you this morning that I believe a lot of church members are lost. But here's something I am more convinced of, and that is that church members are too much Christian and not enough Christ. This is the thing you've got to think about this morning. Now, if you blow it off, you might as well just check out now. If you say, well, that's not me he's talking to, or here we go again, you might as well pull out your phone, Google and, 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 and Facebook and all the rest of it. But if you would seriously think, I, because there's not a person in this room this morning, the pastor included, who should not think seriously about how much is my life defined by Christianity versus defined by Christ. We all need this. All of us. Just consider in the text by way of introduction, Paul says the life I now live as opposed to the old life. Well, we should be able to say that the life I now live is a better life, shouldn't we? The life I now live, it's a better life. Now, what is it that, uh, you know, that it, many, many, I think, can't honestly say this unless they feel like, you know, Oh, I can't, you know, I don't know that I can honestly say that because I don't have the testimony of having been a drunkard or a, or a, or a, a vile criminal or a, a, a vicious person. Many Christians have a ho-hum sense of this new life in Jesus. Why? It's supposed to be a better life. There should be something about, no matter what your previous life was like, we, we Again, we think that it, it seems like only the people that have this very dramatic, sinful past really know what the new life in Christ is, and the, and the rest of us just sort of kind of ho-hum through it. It could be we've got more Christianity than when we've got Christ. He says, the life I now live, he says, I now live in the flesh. Now, the flesh is the body. In this text, in this verse, He's not specifically addressing the flesh in terms of carnal nature, but we know that the carnal nature dwells in the body, and there is a clearly defined line of battle between the spirit and the flesh. And so our life in Christ should not only be a better life, but it's a battle life. And when I, I think about my life, is it more Christianity or Christ, I really need to think about that too. How much of my life is a battle? Say, preacher, how much of my life should be a battle? Every single day. And as we grow in Christ, we, we come to welcome the battle. We come more and more into a place of embracing that battle. Because it is part of our identity and our assurance of Christ. It's who we are. It defines us. Defines our purpose. And yet, how many Christians live a life with no real engagement in battle? You see, that's that stranger life that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. But before we talk about battles with covetousness and lust and gluttony and laziness and gossip and, and, and all those things, the very first battle we need to think about is what is found in the context of the passage this morning. Paul's gospel was from Christ. That's what he is saying. 
As he begins to write this letter to the Galatians, he is making clear to them that what he is preaching was not something he learned from men, but it had come straight from the Lord Jesus himself. As you read chapter 1 and chapter uh, into chapter 2, you will see that Paul is explaining that. And then Paul begins to recall... Uh, how that Peter had come down to Antioch. This is up uh, beginning in verse number 11. And how Peter had come down to Antioch and, and had begun to fellowship with the believers there, these Gentile believers. That is, until the brethren from Jerusalem showed up. And then Peter withdraws, and he wouldn't eat with these Gentile believers anymore. He wouldn't meet with these Gentile believers anymore. The entire premise of this letter is that we are justified with God by faith in Jesus Christ. So, what was Peter doing that was so wrong? He was defaulting back to the law, is what Paul is pointing out in chapter 2. He is excluding the Antioch Christians because they did not keep the law, they did not practice circumcision, and the list could go on and on and on as to what that means. Because they didn't do it. And Peter rather wanted to make sure that he could stay on good terms with uh, Brother James back in Jerusalem. So he did not want to be known as one who was affiliating with these Gentile believers in Antioch. And Paul's message over that is this. We are made right with God only by belief in Christ. Now, I pause because a lot of time that's where the amens come and, and it drowns out the rest of what I want to say. We are made right with God only by belief in Christ and never by obedience to the laws of religion. Whether it's the religion of Moses or the religion of the Baptist, it does not matter. He goes on to expound in chapter 3. He goes on to expound on this matter of the law. And he says, for one thing, in verse number 2 of chapter 3, he said, this only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In essence, what he said is, did the Spirit come to you and fill you because you were obedient to the law or because you were believing in Jesus? Now, of course, it's noteworthy here to point out that true believers are indwelt, led by, and filled with the Spirit. This is a mark that we should examine in our life. You see, you could fit into the religious system with no indwelling of the Spirit because it was the outward performance, it was the outward act, it was the outward duty and obligation. It was about being faithful to the expectations of the system. But Paul said in Romans 8, verse 7 and 9, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now that, that is clearly stated as something to call our attention to and say, I should examine myself here. Is the Spirit of God in me? Now the point Paul was making was, you didn't get the Spirit of God because you were obeying a system, a law, a set of rules. You got the Spirit because you were believing in Jesus, in Christ. So don't go back to, or in our case, maybe we should say, don't stay bound in the system. I'm going to tell you something. Let me be clear. 
You can be born again on your way to heaven, saved, made right with God, justified by faith. You can be totally in Jesus and on your way to heaven and be right and still be bound in a system that is hindering you from a life that Jesus has, has offered and made possible to you. This is why Paul goes on to say later on in chapter 5 and 6, he says, Stand fast in the liberty, therefore, where Christ has made you free and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. The second thing Paul brings out in chapter 3 and verse number 10, he says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What he is saying is, not a one of you can make it by keeping the law or obeying the religion. It'll never work. Why? Because he says, if you miss it on one point, that makes you a lawbreaker of the whole thing. And James says the same thing, James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. So in essence, we can be the very best Christians that we can possibly be. But you're not going to get it all right. And if your hope is in your Christianity, you're going to fail. But if your hope is in Christ, you have nothing to worry about. Now, why did the law exist to begin with then? Well, Paul addresses this in verse 19 and following of chapter 3. Wherefore then serveth the law? What was the purpose of the law? Why, why was it even brought into existence? It was added because of transgressions, because of our sin, because of our failure, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. That was Moses. You see, God gave the law, basically Paul says, uh, and he'll go on to say that it, in verse number 24 that it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law, it was the way to believe the very best we could until Jesus came and fulfilled it all for us. That's what Paul is saying. In a religious system, that's all it is. It, it offers no life. It offers no hope. It offers no help. It's only in the person of Christ himself, Christ alone. Now what is the application for the modern Christian in this text and in this chapters because here's the thing and I've already said it but but let me make it clear when we read this and we see these verses that say things like you know by no by works of the law shall no flesh be justified we say amen and we think about the Old Testament we think about the law of Moses but the fact is I don't know of any Christian that is trying to live by the law of Moses do you now I mean let's not dismiss the law of Moses of course the law still matters Thou shalt not kill, still God's word. We're to live by that. But what I'm saying is, I don't know of anybody that's really like studying the law of Moses and trying to live by it. So, so how does this even apply to us Christians? Well, I do know many, and at times myself, have, I have to include myself, who are living as if their Christian faith makes them right with God. And, and it's virtually the same thing that Peter was doing and these Judaizers were doing who believed that by keeping the law of Moses that made them right with God and many Christians today believe their Christian faith makes them right with God my point is this we have oftentimes simply traded Christianity for Judaism as our own system of law to make us right with God but that will not work because Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Which I would say to you that the only thing that Christianity really does for people who are just living Christianity is it just makes their life harder. I mean, you show me a faithful church member who's just trying to be a good Christian, and I'll show you somebody that lives a very uh, aggravated life. I mean, they don't really want to be here, but they know they, they ought to be because that's what Christians do. There's really no joy in what they're doing, but they're going to do it because it's what's expected out of them. That's a miserable way to live. And this kind of life, this kind of false justification is just as wrong and just as vain and just as failed as the old Jewish law being brought into the early church. Friends, salvation is not found in Christianity but in Christ. If all we have is our old man dressed up in Christian garments, we simply have a whitewashed sepulcher. A cup which has been cleaned on the outside but on the inside is full of rottenness. Do you see the coming of Jesus that we have sung about this morning was the invasion of grace and truth into the equation of religion and law. John said, John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. This is the better part of the new life. Hebrews tells us about that. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19 to 22, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Verse 22 tells us, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. You see, if all we did was swap Judaism for Christianity, we got nothing better. Matter of fact, it's probably worse. It's probably more deceptive. But if we trade all that stuff in for Jesus, we've got everything. We've got what's better. We've got what God intended all along. Now, now you may have to at some point start thinking about, well, how does this apply to my life? And I'm going to say a few things before I close, but they'll be very gener generic and, and, and general and not specific or practical enough today. I'll admit that right up front. But I, I think about, you know, when a ship's caught in the storm, Back in the old days, and they begin to lighten the load. I was reading about it in Acts the other, the other day. And they would throw out all the excess cargo. And, you know, the first thing to go is the stuff you don't need, right? Because you just, you just want to survive. You want to live. And you start getting rid of all that stuff. And I, I just got to tell you, there's some junk in our religious lives that we need to let go of. It is binding us. I don't even know how to put this exactly into words. But some of you are so afraid of offending your religion that you can't enjoy Jesus. You are in bondage. And this is what he come to make us free from. Many Christians, here's, here's, what, here's what we need to do. Many Christians need to read Galatians and substitute Christianity everywhere it says something about the law. For example, chapter 2, verse 16 again. Look at how it would read. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of Christianity, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of Christianity. For by the works of Christianity shall no flesh be justified. Look at verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by Christianity... 
then Christ is dead in vain. That right there make me want to say amen. Huh? I better read that verse one more time. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by Christianity, then Christ is dead in vain. Have you ever thought about how easy it is to separate Christ from Christianity? It's so easy. You can have quality Christianity and Jesus be nowhere near it. I've been involved with Christian schools that are nothing, have nothing to do with Jesus. I've been in churches that have nothing to do with Jesus. There's Christian singers, Christian preachers, there's Christian ministries and organizations. They have nothing to do with Jesus. You can have all the Christianity you want and Christ never be a part of it. But Christ is the answer. Everything else is vain. You see, Christianity does not change the heart. Only Christ can. Christianity does not produce a devout and holy life. Only Christ can. Christianity does not secure confidence and assurance of the soul. Only Christ can. Christianity does not define true righteousness and sin. Only Christ can. You see, Christianity allows you to be the Lord of your life. If it does not bother you, and if the brethren are okay with it or they don't know about it, then go ahead and do it. You get to make the choices. Christianity allows every Christian to be the Lord of their life. Isn't that wonderful? No wonder it's so popular. No wonder it has become such a worldwide phenomenon of religion. Let me ask some of you, do you ever get struck by that? How is it that Christianity is so popular around the world, and yet Jesus said, few there be that find the way? Because Christianity makes people the Lord of their life and blesses it as if it's okay. But the way is to surrender your life wholly to Jesus as Lord, and that's very different. You see, followers of Christ are not as far spread and, and widespread as Christianity is. You can do church. With Christianity, you can do church when it's church time. And then you can live just as carnal and sensual and worldly as you like the rest of the time. After all, you're saved, right? I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Friends, we have some serious problems and strange ideas about sin. Romans 6, 1 and 2 was read earlier. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Here's the thing about it. Christianity allows you to define what sin is. Christianity allows you to determine what is right and what is wrong. Well, I mean, if you get with a group that doesn't agree with you, you just find a group that does agree with you. I mean, Christianity allows you to set the standard. But remember what I told you just a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Sin is anything in my life that misses the mark of God's intended way of righteousness for me. That's a very specific definition. So I can't just categorize sin as what all those people do and what all them people do. But sin is anything in my life that misses the mark of God's intended way of righteousness for me. Now there's only one way to know what that is, and that's to be in Christ. Otherwise, you get to make the rules. We need to come back to our text this morning because here is the true life in Christ as opposed to the typical Christian life. 
there are three things that Paul calls out as marks of the true life in Christ. In, in the text verse, verse 20, notice these three things. He calls out our death with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Secondly, he calls out our life in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ liveth in me. And the third thing he calls out is the faith of Christ. I live by the faith of the Son of God. These are the three marks that Paul gives as the marks, the true identifiers of a true life in Christ versus a Christian life. My death with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. The crucifixion of the self-life. What is this? There's more to say than can be said this morning in our service. But the death of self is the crucifixion of my old man with Jesus. And this thing is a process, rather. A long process. One of the things about crucifixion, if you read about it, and I'm sure you've, you've heard yourselves before, is that crucifixion is not instantaneous. It's long, drawn out. Sometimes a criminal hanging on a cross would hang there for days and days before they died. The crucifixion of the self is a lifelong process. It is something that we must do. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, I died daily. I put myself to death daily. How does this happen? It's further explained in Galatians 5, here in the letter we're preaching from this morning. After giving us the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, he writes in Galatians 5, verse 24 and 25, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Have we crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts? You know the word lust... It's an old English word used here in the Bible, but I think it messes with our mind. We tend to think of lust as, as sexual desire. And certainly inordinate and wrong sexual desire is lust, but it's desire. Desire, that's what it means. Have we crucified our flesh with its desires? Everybody in here has desire. Now, not all desire is bad. Right? Not all desire is wrong. But it becomes a problem when our desire takes over our life. It rules our life. We live to please ourselves. We react on what I want, what I think I have to have right now. You see, one of the most obvious, practical, daily ways that we crucify ourselves is that when we think we want something or should have something, is we choose to say, no, I'm not. I want this, and I have a desire to do this. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to have that. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to get this. And we just say, no, I'm not going to do that right now. That is a very practical way to crucify the flesh. And I'll tell you why that helps, because when we learn to do that with the lesser things, you know, I really would like to have another cheeseburger. Now, now one cheeseburger is, is plenty for anybody. But I feel like I could eat another one, so I'm going to have another cheeseburger. But when I learn to say no to the second cheeseburger, it's maybe a lesser thing, but when I learn to do that, I will become more adept at, at crucifying the flesh on the bigger things. We must choose to be put to death 
In other words, we welcome the humbling. We embrace the suffering. We rejoice when we are denied our carnal desires. Now, Christianity, folks, is very, very easy. But what I just said is impossible apart from the grace of God. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Which one do you want to base your eternity on? It is impossible to crucify yourself. Nobody can crucify themselves. If you think about it, the very best you can do is to nail one hand to the cross. But then what will you do with the other one? There's only one way for you to be crucified and die daily, and that is by the grace of God. You have to let God help you. And to all the Christians, and I'm using that word believers, the true believers, the, to all of you who have wrestled and struggled so much in your life with this sin and this problem and this weakness, as long as we try to do it in our own strength and even with our own determination, we will fail. But when we will let the grace of God come into our life, we will find the way to deny the self, to crucify the self, and to live in victory. Paul mentions his death in Christ. Let me give you quickly, he mentions my life in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The objective is that my life becomes more and more a living testimony to the life of Jesus. Not, not the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago. But the life of Jesus right now, today. Right? What is Jesus doing right now, today? You do know Jesus is still alive. Brother Eddie got me on a text a while back. I don't remember exactly what it was now, but I said something about, about Jesus, and I used it like past tense, and Brother Eddie said, can we use that past tense to talk about Jesus? And I said, oh, you know what? That's right. He not was, he is. And he is today doing something. This is why it's so important for us to learn that when, when we talk about living, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, I'm learning to become the kind of person that lives the way Jesus would live if he were me. I don't need to ask what would Jesus do in my mind wonder back 2,000 years ago. I need to think what would Jesus do if he were living my life right now. This is the meaning of renewal in Christ and what Paul was saying when he wrote in chapter 4 and verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What does it mean to live in Christ? It means that my life is lesser and lesser about what I want and what I choose and more and more about what God is doing and my getting in on that. When what is happening to me is the most important thing and the biggest focus of my life, then self is on the throne. But when what God is doing becomes the most important thing, Christ is ruling in my heart. And finally, Paul says, the faith of Christ. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Christianity really emphasizes the believer's faith, doesn't it? If you, if you think about that, we, we hear things like, I'm just living by my faith. It's, it, it's just my faith that's seeing me through. Christianity champions that kind of language. Because again, I, I'm Lord of my life. When I think like that, I'm relying on myself. 
Now, people who say that, don't misunderstand me. People who use that phrase, I, you may hear me use that phrase. I'm not saying that everybody that says that are not trusting in Jesus. What I'm saying is that language has come out of that type of mentality. What Paul says is that I live by the faith of the Son of God. There's something very helpful in the language here when we understand that we are not to live by our faith alone, but we are to get in on the faith of Jesus. Do you believe Jesus had faith? <laughs> Boy, did he have faith. I think some people think Jesus didn't need faith. After all, he's God, right? He don't need faith. No, Jesus was a man. God became a man. The Word became flesh, and the Word, when it became flesh, needed faith in the Father. He had to believe God. The man, Jesus, had to believe God. He had to have faith. And there's more, again, to say than time allows, but I would simply ask, for my own sake, for your sake, we say, what did Jesus believe? Because if I can live in that, I'm going to be doing well. And I didn't spend a lot of time thinking on it. I knew time would be up by now. But two things quickly came to my mind when I thought about what did Jesus believe. And let me just tell them to you because they'll help you. The first thing I thought of was he believed that the Father loved and approved him. And it is so important for me to say to you this morning, child of God, your Father loves you and he approves of you. Many of you today, Christianity has got you bound into a belief that you have to perform well for God to accept you. You don't have to do that. You are accepted in the beloved. And Jesus was accepted. He is the beloved and you are in him. And you don't have to earn God's favor. God loves you. He approves of you. God blesses your life. The problem is not God blessing us. The problem is us being willing to receive it. We feel too much like failures. I, lo I love the song. Don't get me wrong. I love the song. The choir will probably sing it within a month of now. But I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I love the song, and I know what the song's saying. But you know, there's a mentality that comes with that thinking that's like, you know what? Hey, I ain't a whole lot. I, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, now we know we are sinners. <laughs> We're just saved by grace, but... You're more than just a sinner saved by grace. You are the beloved child of God. Not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus earned it for us and we're accepted in Him. We're 100% loved and approved by God. This message approved by God, amen? You got the stamp of divine approval on your life. Our thing is we got to start living like it. Boy, I tell you, that's, that gets me excited. I, I, I want to quit. It's time for Sunday school, but I'd really just like to start all over on a whole new message. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of freedom in that. Christianity, if all it is is a substitute for Judaism, it just binds us, it traps us, it shackles us, it keeps us low. But boy, if we understand that we're approved by God, I'm loved, blessed, I've been set free, I just need to get out there and live, amen? Well, that's good. Second thing I thought of that Jesus believed was he believed the Father's will is preeminent. He believed the Father's will is preeminent. Now, what does that mean? Just simply means this. There's nothing else more important than what the Father wants. I lay aside myself. You know, Jesus, from the time he left the glory, from the time the Word became flesh, he laid aside himself. 
and his entire life was one of laying aside himself to do the Father's will, all the way until he became obedient even to the death of the cross. I wish my life was more defined by that. I think it will be. I think the older I get and the further I go, by the grace of God, my life will become more of that. Jesus, by the time he was 33 years old, I mean, he was laying it all down, right? I'm, I'm soon to be 46, and I, I just feel like I can't even hardly get started. There's just still too much of me in me. But I want to live like that. I want to live like nothing else matters but what the Father wants. I want to wake up every day just seeking that. I want to go to bed every night reflecting on what the Father wanted and what he did. I want that to define my life. And friends, that's what we've been called to live in. That's the faith of the Son of God. You know, life can be tough and confusing and hard and disappointing, frustrating. And when we try to do it ourselves and all we've got is our Christianity, boy, it's just a mess. But if I can learn to say like Jesus did in that garden, he said, if it be possible, I, I just, I can't think about that and it just not get me. I want you to think about Jesus in the garden said, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Everybody's tried to explain that away all down through the years. I don't need anybody to explain anything for me. Jesus was feeling the weakness in his own flesh that night. The fear, the confusion, the darkness. You don't think he had to go right into the thick of the battle that night? But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, he said that facing the cross. Honestly, sometimes I have a hard time saying that when I got a bad cold. Right? But I thank God that while I still hadn't got it right, I do think about it more. And there's been a few times this week with just this old dumb cold when I've reminded myself, how many times have you preached to the people that suffering is a way to get closer to God by entering into that suffering with Jesus? I haven't figured it all out yet, but I want it. I really do. I really do. We can all have it. We can all have it. Christianity's not the answer, folks. I love my Christian brothers. I love our Christian church. I love our Christian hymns and our Christian faith. I, I love it, but Christianity is not the answer. Christ is. 